0: Hi with Ainsley Bullion and this is the Weekly Wrap on this day the 7th of October 2016. Australian dollars, gold is sitting at $16.55 and silver at $22.86 with the Aussie dollar at seventy-five point nine. So this week saw both gold and silver down strongly on last week, buffered only in part by a weaker Aussie dollar. Indeed, gold dropped 4.4% and silver saw its biggest weekly drop in three and a half years down 8.8%. It was of course worse in the US dollars and last night saw gold breach the $12.55, 200-day moving average thankfully rebounding to finish right on it. Silver is still yet to get to its 200-day moving average so the pain may not be over yet. The gold silver ratio is back up to 72.4 and year-to-date gains are back to 14% and 21% respectively for gold and silver still comfortably above most other assets. We have been overrun with people buying the dip this week and it will be interesting to see what happens tonight with China back at the table next week. Before I start today, I want to remind you that in theory a large part of the reason gold and silver got smashed this week was because of increased expectations of central banks, the Fed in particular, tightening monetary policy because everything is getting better. Indeed, members of the Fed this week reinforced a rate rise in November or December was still on the table. Notably, Fed Hawk Mester said the case for a November hike was compelling, Lacker said the rate should already be at least 1.5% by now, whilst the more dovish Dudley noted the slow pace of expansion and suggested the Fed should be cautious in removing accommodation. Yellen was nowhere to be seen. Of course, this all coincided with the Bloomberg report citing anonymous Eurozone central bank officials claiming there was an informal consensus around tapering QE, which shocked markets as they had most recently been talking expansion, let alone tapering. The ECB later released a complete denial of this, but the damage had already been done. So let's look at the economic data that came out of the US against this backdrop of raising rates. The Chicago PMI fell from 55.8 to 51.8. Pending home sales rose 1.3%, higher than the 0.7 expected, but they revised June down to a minus 0.8 from plus 0.2%. So let's see what happens to that 1.3 next time. The ISM manufacturing PMI rose from the contractionary 49.4 to 51.5, which is what got markets excited about a rate rise on Tuesday night, but it is barely above contraction and remains well above the 59.9 cycle high in 2011. Market concluded manufacturing growth slowed to a crawl in September, suggesting the economy is stuck in a soft patch. Indeed, of the 18 manufacturing indus- industries surveyed seven reported growth in september and 11 reported contraction all rejoice then came construction spending and it fell 0.7 percent in august when a positive positive 0.3 percent was expected and is now into contraction for the first time in five years u.s factory orders printed a positive positive 0.2 percent against expectations of a minus minus 0.2 percent but yet again the previous month was revised down 0.5 percent and the year-on-year figure is in decline for the 22nd straight month, again the longest streak in US history outside a recession. For the second month in a row, the New York PMI was in contraction at 49.6, albeit slightly improved from August 47.5, but the outlook component tumbled six points and the employment was woeful, with the ISM New York employment crashing from 54.9 to 33.9, its biggest drop ever and back to lows not seen since the GFC. It wasn't all bad news, uh, though. Wednesday night saw the ISM Services Index surprise with a strong one-year high, 57.1% print after the awful 51.4 print in August. The employment component was strong, but the euphoria was short-lived as the ADP employment figures released with just 154,000 jobs added in September, the weakest print since April, and against expectations of 165,000. Once again, manufacturing fell, now to nearly three-year lows. Survey provider market summarised by saying, and I quote, Across both manufacturing and services, The surveys point to the smallest monthly gain in jobs since April 2010. They also said the economy is growing at an annualised rate of only 1%. Countering that however, last night we saw initial jobless claims drop to a 43-year low of 249,000 and continuing jobless claims hitting a 16-year low as well. Take special note of this because tonight is the release of the all-important non-farm payroll employment numbers and a miss could send markets into an absolute tiz after this big week of sell-offs on the everything's awesome narrative. You could well expect big gains in gold and silver if it does and more pain if it doesn't. We reported the initial estimates a couple of weeks ago but the end of the US financial year last week saw confirmation that the US increased its government debt by an incredible $1.4 trillion, the third largest in history, and taking their total debt to $19.57 trillion. The week was still dominated by the price action on Tuesday night, and it wasn't just the central banks. There was a Trump relief rally of sorts when WikiLeaks' Julian Assange held off releasing the supposed one million election-related documents, which were widely believed to be damaging for Clinton. This was thought to be the best chance of Trump securing the election and hence it allegedly added to the sell-off of gold on the news. The other big news and... Uh, and weight on gold price was the news that Deutsche Bank and the U.S. Department of Justice had reached a settlement of a third of the $14 billion fine initially imposed for their role in the GFC and hence avoiding the so-called Lehman moment for now. Last night, however, U.S. officials denied this and Deutsche shares fell again. And finally, the night also saw the British sterling slump to a 31-year low over Theresa May saying that Article 50 would be triggered by March next year and feeding fears the UK may be heading for a hard Brexit landing. The IMF was vocal this week, firstly issuing its latest growth forecast. They slashed 2016 global trade volume growth forecast to 2.3%, down 0.4% from their July estimate, and cut U.S. GDP growth to just 1.6% from 2.2% in July, and forecasting only 2.2% in 2017. Again, clearly a signal to raise rates in December. They talked about global growths moving sideways in 2017, down 0.1% to 3.4%. Australia was revised down 0.3% to just 2.7% in 2017, slowing from their estimate of 2.9% this year. That growth figure will be playing on the RBA's mind after it held rates this week at 1.5%, despite their GDP target being 3% and the IMF warning of a deflation trap if monetary policy is not loosened. The IMF then released a very loud and clear warning on the world's debt situation. We write about it today, but in essence the world has hit a new all-time record non-debt, uh, total debt of $152 trillion, which is an outright scary 225% of global GDP and excludes financial sector debt. Two-thirds of that amount is private sector debt, which has the least capacity to handle a shock. Australia wasn't spared, as the front page of yesterday's Fin Review carried the article where the IMF warned that our fast-paced binge on debt exposed our economy to future crisis. Finally, amid all this economic news, we have heightened political tensions around the world. If you missed Four Corners Monday night on the South China Sea conflict, make sure you catch that on iview. And of course, this week saw the US and Russia come to blows and aborting the bilateral diplomatic relations on Syria and Russia halting the weapons-grade plutonium cleanup accord. But hey, who needs gold? We'll catch you next week and remember, balance your wealth in an unbalanced world.